0: Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. You can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can uh, watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can search for and subscribe to the channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Logical Belief. Both the audio and video can be found at the website uh, just there on the far right of the top menu. Just click on podcast. You can find the previous Uh, episodes there both the video and the audio will be there Uh, if you have a word of encouragement or a message that you want to send me a question uh, just send those to jason at logicalbelief.org. just be aware however by sending me an email you are permitting me to read it on the air ohio fire is coming to columbus ohio april 8th and 9th Hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries, Ohio Fire will encourage and train Christians to mature in their faith and share the gospel with the lost. Hear Phil Johnson and Dr. Thomas White on the topic, the Word of God. And after the conference, you'll have a chance to hit the streets of Columbus with trained team leaders. Ohio Fire, April 8th and 9th. For details and to register, go to ohiofire.org. Well, there you go. The Ohio Fire conference put on by Striving for Eternity Ministries will be uh, in April and uh, for those of you out there that uh, want to send me to Ohio Fire, uh, you can just uh, send me an email. I'll give you the address and you guys can go ahead and mail me your checks and your money uh, so that I can attend that conference. So that would be appreciated. But uh, for those of you that are not interested in sending me uh, but want to attend yourself, I would encourage you to do so uh, you will learn a lot there. I just uh, would encourage you, though, also, if you're not going to be attending that, to, however, uh, get acquainted with Andrew Rappaport's ministry, Striving for Eternity. He has a lot of very good resources on there, especially um, <clears throat> uh, biblical seminary-level uh, courses on things like uh, biblical hermeneutics, uh, ways to and how to... Uh, handle the text of the word of God carefully uh, and rightly Uh, that is something that is uh, not done much uh, within modern-day Christianity and so I would encourage you to check that out also he has some great uh, um, episodes and videos which uh, teach things like uh, the humanity and the deity of Christ the Trinity Uh, These are fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, which unfortunately, uh, many Christians simply do not know, are not aware of, and don't know how to defend biblically. And uh, when their uh, door is knocked on by a Jehovah's Witness, uh, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to stand up, and uh, some of them become Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Or they don't know how to handle Mormonism because they simply are not well versed in these biblical doctrines So we really encourage you to check out his ministry, he has a great ministry um, for building up the body of Christ And so check that out and attend the conference if uh, that is something that you can do Um, Andrew Rappaport is definitely not one of those postmodern Christians Which is what we're going to be talking about on today's episode On today's episode I want to address something that uh <clears throat> i have addressed before uh in a previous episode and i'd encourage you to go back and listen to that uh we'll be touching on more of that today but uh this is postmodern christianity now this is definitely an oxymoron there's no such thing as true christianity that adopts a postmodern philosophy but um any of you out there that um Are believers that believe in the inerrancy of scripture that believe that God has spoken and he has revealed truth to us in such a way that we can be certain about it Uh, you will uh, if you are in uh, any typical evangelical church in uh, modern America you will account encounter postmodern Christians and these are professing Christians who have adopted a Secular Postmodern world view um, They will have uh, There's a friend of mine <clears throat> Who often uh, Calls uh, the Jesus Erected by postmodern Christianity As Santa Claus Jesus And um, he's right on With that So much of postmodern Christianity has a, Has erected A Jesus devoid of Biblical testimony about him um, he is a he is a Jesus that tolerates everything um, loves every single person unconditionally um, this is devoid of sound biblical theology and you will find it um, they honestly the ones that I've encountered the postmodern Christians that I've encountered frankly just don't even know the Bible at all uh, they will have a uh, view of what the Bible says and who Jesus is, but it'll be just entirely devoid of the actual text of Scripture. And I have noticed that this postmodern philosophy, this, um, there's no absolutes. Uh, we can't really know anything for certain. Um, all opinions are equal. Um, things like that. Um, Has is a satanic Tradition it comes from The devil but yet it has Crept in our churches and there are A series of postmodern Platitudes that you will hear And I want to go over about Five of these and these are ones that I've actually Encountered uh, recently Myself uh, In engaging with postmodern Christians uh, especially From um, If you've if any of you Guys have ever been in Uh, An evangelical church that is Infiltrated with postmodernism You will encounter these now these Particular platitudes that I'm going to go over Are Are not words that should ever Come out of the mouth of a Christian Who actually believes that the Word of God is true and that We can actually open up the text to Scripture And we can actually discuss these things The postmodern Christian Will be completely unwilling To open up the Bible and actually exegete a verse And determine doctrine based upon it um, He already has His doctrine determined He does not need scripture uh, For this doctrine And uh, and he will Stand on it regardless of what Scripture says uh, Recently I actually had a postmodern Evangelical pastor Actually tell me this He told me that uh, He was listening to um, R.C. Sproul And he said that R.C. Sproul says that, you know, all Christian doctrines uh, should be logical. And he says he disagrees with that. He doesn't think everything needs to be logical. And my mouth almost fell open uh, on that particular statement because if... If not everything needs to be logical and rational Then how do we know Is If there's even one thing Within God's reality His creation That is true But yet it is self-contradictory And irrational and absurd But yet it's still true If there's even one thing in the universe That is that Then we have no foundation Whatsoever for the Christian worldview because my question would be, is if not everything needs to be logical, but yet it can be true, how do you know evolution isn't that thing which is illogical, but yet it is true? The the question I'd actually even asked this particular pastor when he said this was, was you would have to actually have to use logic to even construct an argument. To say not everything had to be logical Which would be self-refuting It's um. It's just amazing And this is what comes From A Supposed Christian worldview That doesn't want to Stand on the absolutes Of doctrine that have been Revealed to us in scripture And when there is A lack of willingness to actually stand upon this because we don't want to be confronted by the world we don't want to be called bigots by the world we don't want to be called intolerant by the world and uh, so what we instead do is we sacrifice the Word of God on that altar so instead of actually engaging the world in challenging the world on their presuppositions And challenge them on their philosophical systems Which are incoherent and self-refuting Instead we give in to them And we adopt them and we import them into the church And we now preach them as doctrine And um, that is what postmodernism has done No absolutes, everything is relative So there's... Not really a need for everything to be logical If that's the case Then we have no We have no objective truth To ground the Biblical worldview in And this is a huge problem If this is something that Has ever come out of your mouth And something that you've ever heard Anyone else say This is something that needs to be repented of Not uh, Encouraged Or you, you know this is this is a serious issue. Uh, these these postmodern platitudes. Uh, another one <clears throat> that I was uh, uh, recently—I'm going to give you a string of four that have been given to me recently um, by some postmodern Christians—is uh, when when discussing biblical doctrine, when discussing the truth of. The Word of God um, The question goes like this Have you ever been wrong about anything? So What sort of argument is that? This particular statement Is intended to simply Shut another person up Who you are not willing To actually engage with And have a discussion with This is not something that should be coming out of the mouth Of a Christian Have you ever been wrong about anything? Yes, of course I have. Of course we have been. All of us have been wrong about something because we are fallen creatures. But when God saves a person, uh, as Seytenberg and Kate often says, Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. But not only did he save us from our sins, but he saves our reasoning now. God has delivered to us his word and he has given us his spirit. As Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. And so when God has revealed to us through his word by the Spirit of God, truth, absolute truth, we should be willing to stand on it regardless of what secular um secularists and postmodernist Christians, professing Christians will say to us. Um you often see this in the discussions about homosexuality today. You have, you have uh, secularists calling Christians simply, oh, well, you have a different opinion than me, so you're a bigot. Well, <laughs> once again, that's a postmodern platitude. If, if, you're going, if you're going to be tolerant of other people and other people's ideas, Then simply just calling them a bigot Just shuts up the conversation It's not a way to continue the discussion It's just uh, you know If anybody has an opinion different than me He's simply a bigot Well that's not a way a Christian argues It's not a way a Christian discusses things A a Christian bases his worldview On the revealed truth of God's word And God's word has said that homosexuality Is a sin So therefore we can stand on that Um, The the argument ending statement have you ever been wrong about anything is not an argument it's just an attack against the other person uh, trying to end the discussion Uh, another one that I've uh, heard recently is uh, you just think you are right well if God has revealed it then yes and in fact, we should think we're right. But the problem is, is the postmodernist Christian doesn't realize he's actually refuting himself because he thinks he's right, too. In fact, all of us, whenever anything comes out of our mouth, we think we're right. And if we don't think we're right, if, if we are saying something and we don't think that what we're saying is true and right, that means we're lying. That means we're being dishonest. And so whenever anyone speaks, they think that they're right. You just think you are right is not an argument. When uh, Apollos, in Acts chapter 18, when he went and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus, that Christ was Jesus, in Acts 18, verse 28, what sort of an argument would have been leveraged against Apollos if the Jews would have just said well Apollos you just you just think you're right okay that's not an argument that's irrational because you think you're right just as well but this is what we get from postmodern Christianity we don't actually get a discussion of Scripture but instead we get self refuting platitudes which should never ever come out of the mouth of a Christian you just think you're right. Uh, another one very common, if you have an opinion and you show something in Scripture that is contrary to the postmodern Christian's worldview, they will say that you're judgmental, and they'll quote Matthew 7.1 out of context. Uh, if you want to go see an article I wrote um, on this uh, a while ago, you can find that on the website. Uh, if you just search, I believe it's entitled, Is It Wrong to Judge?, But in uh, in John 7.29 Jesus tells us to judge with right judgment And not by mere appearances So we are to make as Christians um, Judgments but based upon the word of God And not our own assumed standard We are to make judgments not hypocritically But based upon God's revealed word Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Paul tells us that we will judge God Angels, and we will judge the world as Christians. And so it is the Christian's duty to make judgments, but to do so with the unchanging and inerrant Word of God. And the problem is, once again, the pure hypocrisy of postmodern Christianity when, in order to try to end a discussion and end uh, an argument, it is you are just so judgmental the problem is is the person is doing exactly what they're accusing you of They are being judgmental. They're doing Romans chapter 2 verse 1 um, where it tells us that um, There there are those who judge but you do exactly what you judge others for and that is absolute pure hypocrisy and um, That is what we see so that is another postmodern platitude that should never uh, come out of our mouth. It's either either the platitude, it's wrong to judge, or you're so judgmental, are both self-refuting statements, because in order to make them, you have to pass a judgment upon another person. The point is, it's not wrong to judge. It's wrong to judge hypocritically, and it's wrong to judge based upon a postmodern Christian standard and not the inerrant and unchanging Word of God. Um, another one that uh, my wife was recently told. Uh, By a postmodern Christian was that um, You're just so opinionated And so my wife uh, quite deftly from her presuppositional (laughs) Understanding said well is that your opinion And um, That once again it is not an argument that should ever come out of the mouth of a Christian A Christian should never Have that that should just never come out of the mouth of a Christian. When, when Des, when Martin Luther, here, let me grab this book. Here it is, "The Bondage of the Will." When Martin Luther debated Desiderius Erasmus on the the state of the human will, if his response to Erasmus would have just been, "You're so opinionated," and he would have just dismissed Erasmus's case, we wouldn't have the bondage of the will today. If he would have just said, well, Erasmus, you're just so judgmental and you just think you're right. Once again, we wouldn't have this amazing work today. If any of the church fathers, if any of, uh, let's take the book of Galatians, for example. If Paul, in encountering the Judaizers, he just told them that they were so opinionated and they just thought they were right, We wouldn't have the book of Galatians today. But instead what we have is we have an amazing work by the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit refutes the false gospel and anathematizes that false gospel of the Judaizers. And today we have the book of Galatians. Because Paul was not a postmodern Christian. He actually stood on the word of God. He believed it. He preached it. And he argued for it. And the problem is, is postmodern Christians need to repent and they need to turn from their false, unbiblical worldview and they need to accept the word of God as the ultimate standard of truth. And when you have um, a discussion with a Christian on a particular doctrine, instead of hypocritically judging them, instead you should open up your Bible. And actually read it and engage in a discussion and find out what is true that is how iron sharpens iron Um, it is not by these postmodern platitudes if you are a Christian today you should never ever have these five statements come out of your mouth not everything needs to be logical things that are illogical can be true Have you ever been wrong about anything? You just think you're right? It's wrong to judge or you're so judgmental? Or you're just so opinionated? Those are not arguments that come from the mouth of a true Christian who actually believes the Word of God. It's one devoid of any knowledge of what Scripture actually says. Let's look at some of the words of Jesus himself. Uh, let's see if Jesus was ever judgmental. I've often said that if if Jesus himself the second person of the triune god walked within a postmodern evangelical church, he would be rejected and crucified again. Because they would not tolerate him because he would be too intolerant for them. Jesus says in Matthew 12:34, he says you brood of vipers, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus also says, and I didn't even put this verse down, but I believe it's in John chapter 10. He tells the Pharisees that they are of their father, the devil. These are very judgmental statements. And Jesus did think he was right. And that was his opinion. And in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul, says that um, when he encountered Peter in Antioch, because Peter was being hypocritical and he was um, uh, eating with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came back, he would separate themselves from them. And uh, so in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Wow, wasn't Paul pretty judgmental here? did Paul think that he was right yes Paul was right what Peter was doing was wrong and needed to be addressed for before certain men came for before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when he came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy But when they saw their conduct was not in step With the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas Before them all if you though A Jew live like a Gentile and Not like a Jew how can you force the Gentiles To live like Jews So Paul here Confronted Peter In front of everyone for his Sin This is something that a postmodern Christian would never tolerate But it's biblical We stand on Truth Just as the Apostle Paul did. We follow Paul as he follows Christ. And in fact, we even follow Peter. Because Peter, what did Peter do? Peter repented. When Peter was confronted with his sin, Peter repented. And it's the same way with us. When God, through someone, calls us to repentance for our hypocrisy, we should repent. Um, In Acts, I'm sorry, in uh, Mark um, 7, verse 13, Jesus, in addressing the Jews on their Korban rule, their Korban tradition, said something to them, and just as the Jews took a human tradition and inserted it into the Word of God, thus invalidating the Word of God, is exactly what postmodern Christianity does today they take human traditions and philosophies postmodernism they import them into the text of Scripture and they invalidate Scripture Jesus says in Mark 7 13 thus making void the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do you are making void the Word of God by your philosophical human tradition of postmodernism. And we urge anyone out there that has engaged in postmodern philosophy to repent of it and to turn back to God's revealed word. You know, I, I don't even understand how you take um, all the apologists today and the evangelists today that go out and preach the word of God and stand on his truth. You can't do that from a postmodern Christian worldview. You can't even, you can't distinguish yourself from the world because you have no truth to stand on by which to differentiate yourself from the world. You're no different than they are. You have, you have zero foundation, just like the world doesn't have any foundation either. But here's the thing. God has given us a foundation, God has given us his word and we can stand on it and we can believe it. Um I actually had a postmodernist Christian uh tell me recently. He was really talking about uh Martin Luther. He he thought Martin Luther was a great uh was a great man. But um interestingly enough, I don't think that uh he would uh I was recently re- reading The bondage of the will and uh Luther said something to Erasmus here that I don't think would fit into the postmodern uh, philosophy. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it here. This is in Section 28 of The Bondage of the Will. Now, if I were to demand of you these three things, what is the manifestation of the Spirit? What are miracles? What is sanctification? As far as I have known you from your letters and books, you, have, you would appear so great a novice and ignoramus That you would not be able to give Three syllables of explanation Wow Was Martin Luther judgmental Now I don't entirely agree with all the language And the terms that Martin Luther himself used I don't don't do that Um, I try to deal uh, Simply with The arguments and, and have the discussion But It's amazing how many postmodern Christians will hold up some of these heroes of the faith like Luther and Spurgeon. But yet if Luther and Spurgeon were here today, they would vilify them along with all the rest of the Christians because they cannot stand and they do not believe that God has spoken the way that these heroes of the faith did. Uh, Martin Luther also said in his book Against the Prophets on page 146, he said, Just as the devil is disorderly and jumbles things together, so your writings and head are equally disordered and mixed up, so that it is exceedingly annoying to read and difficult to remember what you write. So, Martin Luther was not a postmodernist. There's no doubt about it. Don't, don't call yourself a Protestant. Don't say that you respect men like Spurgeon and Luther. But yet, if they were here today, you would vilify them just as you do other Christians and condemn them from your postmodern philosophy and not from the Word of God. All righty. Well, that is um, all I have to say about uh, postmodernism today. Any of you guys that are (laughs) evangelists and uh, apologists out there, I'm sure you have encountered postmodern Christianity yourself. And... um, it's a puts a bad taste into your mouth, but um, we would encourage and we would plead with those that are still caught up in these philosophies to turn from them and turn to the Word of God. We know it is by God's grace alone that He has opened our hearts and minds to the truth. Um, I remember a time when those were the types of things that I said, and it is only by God's grace that um, He has turned me and freed me from that. So we would pray uh, for those people that are still caught up in that. They need to turn from that. They need to turn to the unchanging and inerrant word of God. So I wanted to talk about something else. Uh, recently, uh, there has been a discussion going on between Dr. James White and Dr. Kent Hoven um, on the discussion of King James onlyism. And uh, I had messaged Dr. Hoven And requested that um, he uh, would repent From accusing and slandering Dr. James White And referring to him as a liar Um, He did read my first email that I sent him on the air Uh, Mr. Kent Hoven did, Dr. Kent Hoven did Um, But he did not, he just, uh, he sloughed it off to gail ripplinger and he did not take um, he did not uh, take accountability for what he said and so i still want to publicly actually on my youtube channel call uh, kenthoven to repent for his slander um, to not uh, simply take the word of somebody else uh, and and vilify another christian and uh, call them a liar, but actually check things out before you're willing to repeat information like that. And then don't just slough it off on another person. Uh, take accountability for it, and repent of it, and apologize for it. So I want to read. Uh, um, actually, I'm not even going to read that email, the original one that I sent him. Um, but I do want to address a little bit of his King James onlyism. So this, the reason that I want to do this is because I want to try to equip. Um, some of you, as you encounter, um, and I would refer to it as the cult of King James Onlyism. It's very cult-like. Um, uh, it's very similar, and in fact, it's probably even worse than uh, than some of the cults out there. Is is King James Onlyism? It's so blatantly self-refuting and circular uh, that it's it's actually it's just absolutely amazing. Um, so I have I emailed Doctor Kenthoven. Uh, two questions uh that he's been addressing uh two arguments that he's been making um to defend his King James only position, and the reason that I think that we need to contend against King James onlyism is because King James onlyism from its cult like position completely ruins any sort of meaningful apologetic for the Word of God if if there is no way that we actually had the inerrant Word of God until 1611, that's when the King James was translated um, uh, in England. If we had, we if we didn't have the Word of God, then we have no no method of providing any sort of apologetic that God has actually preserved His Word. You just have to assume in whatever is your favorite version, if you're going to hold to a King James only type. Position. You simply pick your favorite translation, and you simply assume it to be the word of God, to be the inerrant word of God, and and take on all oncomers uh, from that particular position. In fact, I would say that most King James only arguments. If you would just take the article, and you would do a if you're familiar with something like Word or something, you would do a Control H, do a Replace Find, and you would just search for KJV. And simply replace KJV with your own favorite ESV, NASB, NIV, whatever your favorite translation is, and just replace it, you would have your own nice little argument, nice little circular argument for your own version of the Bible. Basically, the King James only position starts with assuming that the King James is the Bible, is the inerrant word of God, preserved word of God. It starts with that assumption that and then any version that has anything different than the King James is either adding to or taking away or perverting the Word of God. Well, that's a circular argument. That doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, You could do that, I mean, I could do that with the, let's say I picked the ESV, and any place that the NIV or the King James or any other translation is different from the ESV, well, they're simply corrupting the Word of God. They're you know distorting from the deity of Christ uh, for example in John 1 uh, is it 18 John 118 the ESV is much clearer on the deity of Christ than the King James you know why were the King James translators so you know why why were they so uh, insistent on on taking away and hiding the deity of Christ it's it's just absurd king james onlyism is just absolutely absurd upon its face it divides the body of Christ and it ruins any sort of meaningful apologetic and the primary thing, even before those two reasons, is we as Christians are called to stand on truth. Truth. You know, that thing that's logical that we were just talking about? We are called to stand on truth, not a circular argument that we simply assume to be true. Um, so I wrote him this message because recently he's been making the argument that the King James... In Genesis one one, um, is cor- is correct because it says in the beginning God created the heaven instead of heavens, as much as the uh, which is in the plural, as much of the modern translations do. So, I wrote him. I said recently you've been making the argument uh, that the King James has correctly translated the Hebrew word shamayim in Genesis one one as heaven instead of heavens, as the modern translations do you use this as an argument to demonstrate the superiority of the King James Version over the modern translations let's ignore for a moment that the Hebrew word Shemayim ends in the words in the letters Yod and Mem um, indicating a singular masculine plural noun my primary question for you would be in regards to Paul's statement in 2nd Corinthians twelve two about a man who was caught up to the third heaven was this third heaven created by God in the beginning and if so, does not the word third indicate more than one? More than one heaven would be plural, correct? If your response is that God maybe created these other heavens sometime after creation week, that would be precluded by day seven when God rested from his creative acts. Can you please respond to 2 Corinthians 12 in regards to your insistence that all the modern translations got it wrong? Look forward to hearing your response. So I looked into it. A little bit, the Masoretic text on Genesis one one actually does have the word shemayim, which is uh, a masculine plural noun. I did look up, uh, and I've got my my Septuagint right here, and I did look up in uh, Genesis one one because I wanted to see how the Septuagint actually had. Um, Uh, had this verse, and it has a uh, theos ton, um, uranon, which is actually a masculine singular noun. So the septuagint actually has heaven as, as a singular noun, not heavens. The interesting thing is that I have heard Kent Hovind Actually, say that he doesn't even know if this. He doesn't believe the Septuagint is actually real. That there ever really was such a thing as the Septuagint. He rejects that Jesus and the apostles quoted from the Greek Septuagint. Um, he rejects that it ever actually existed. That it was a, a later fabrication. Uh, that is that is what I've heard him say. So um, I'm not sure the reason why the King James Version trans or the the King James translators actually translated Genesis one, one. I've not done any research on that, why they translated as heaven and not heavens, even though the, the Masoretic text actually has the Hebrew word as Shemayim as plural. So I'm not sure for it, but regardless of that, if Hovind is going to be consistent with the rest of scripture, God did create heavens in the beginning. And, um, and not a single heaven. So I did not get a response to this particular email. He has not emailed me back. He has not addressed it in any of his videos. It seems like he's ignored this particular question. He did answer my first question, um, as I mentioned. But he has ignored my later questions. Um, I did want to... Uh, so, so I emailed him again um, <clears throat> after I heard him make an argument that... That the Hebrew and Greek should actually be corrected by the um, should actually be corrected by the King James version, which is quite an astonishing claim to actually make. Uh, that uh, if the you know if the Hebrew and Greek that we have today is different, then the King James version we should actually change the Hebrew and Greek to match the King James version. I just. That is just an absolutely absurd claim to actually make. But So what I did is I emailed Dr. Kent Hoven uh, and asked him another question, and I have yet to have him actually respond to this one also. And uh, what he's been saying is he's obviously very inconsistent, but he's been saying that, uh, you know, That the King James Version is God's preserved word in English and he seems to emphasize that it's in English, but then he has the King James Version correcting the Hebrew and the Greek Um, And I've even heard him make the assertion that That uh, if you go to other languages, you should translate from the King James Version So um, I decided to ask him this question Recently on your YouTube channel you've been making a particular argument for your King James Version only position that I want to address your argument has been something like this. Why do you have to go to Hebrew and Greek scholars to find out what the Bible actually says. Why do you need to trust what the Hebrew and Greek scholars says the Bible says can't God preserve his word in the English so that you can know what it says you then assert that God has done that preservation in the King James Version now. I'm going to stop there just for a second, but the absolute hypocrisy here of saying, why do you need to go to Hebrew and Greek scholars to find out what the Bible says makes me want to wrap duct tape around my head. Because the King James Version was translated by Greek and Hebrew scholars. So... You are relying on Greek and Hebrew scholars to tell you what God's Word says, right? Um, So, you then assert that God has done the preservation in the King James Version. I hope I have properly represented your argument. Please correct me if I'm wrong. My question for you would start with this. Is it your position that if the Chinese needed the Bible in Mandarin, that it should be translated from the King James Version? which I believe is his position, but I did want to actually ask him. Um, If the answer is yes, then would not the Mandarin-speaking Chinese need to go to and trust English-speaking people to clearly know what the Bible says? If you are consistent, would this not refute your position that we should not have to learn the original languages or trust those who do know the original languages to properly translate the inspired scriptures for us? If the answer is no, the Mandarin Bible would be, should be translated from the original Hebrew and Greek. Does this not refute your position that the King James Version is the authoritative, preserved word of God that should be used to correct the Hebrew and Greek? And then I linked here a video where he actually said that. I just heard you say that on this video, and then I linked the video. If you say that the Mandarin translation from the King James Version is just as inerrant as the King James Version, could the Mandarin translation ever be corrected again by the King James Version if an English or Mandarin translation error were found? Which would be more authoritative, the Mandarin Bible or the King James Version? A final question for you. Is it your position that God did not preserve the Scripture in the transmission of the text and the original inspired autographs and the Church of Christ, had no reason for being fully confident in their scriptures until 1611. I would like to hear your thoughts. Fundamentally, the King James' only position absolutely ruins the fact that we have the Word of God today and that God has preserved it. Because we have manuscripts as early as the late 1st century. And we have full codexes um from the 4th century So What Canthoven's position Actually has to be in all other King James only is, is that By the time you get To the point where we have the, earl- the the earliest manuscripts that we have If the King James Version Is the preserved word of God and we can't Go to those earliest manuscripts Then that means that God's word was Already corrupt by then As early as the late 1st century God's word was no longer preserved That God did not have the ability to do that It had to be redone And there's no way of actually knowing which translation Because Kent Hovind's is just assuming That the King James Version Is that where it's been preserved You know, why wasn't it preserved in the Geneva Bible? You know, why why wasn't it preserved in the Bishop's Translation? In fact, why was it preserved in the English anyway? I mean, Didn't the Germans get their preserved word of God? You know, what about those poor Chinese we were just talking about? Did they not get it? Oh, it's only the English. Oh, so us English-speaking people were the elite ones, right? We're the ones that God re-inspired and preserved his word. But, you know, none of the other Christians, before English ever even came along, none of the other Christians had the, the word of God and no other language has the inerrant word of god only us english speaking people do i mean the the absolute hubris that this position has is just absolutely absurd and um my call to kanthoven is to think about these things think rationally through these you know i it's really disappointing to me how um, this has happened with Kent Hovind Because I really appreciated parts of his ministry Early on as a Christian I used to uh, listen to his videos And uh, I learned a lot um, In uh, the early stages of my walk with the Lord And, and understanding things like evolution And creation uh, science and things like that um, at, a, at a more fundamental and basic level And it's been really disappointing to me to see where Kent Hovind has gone And how he's willing to slander Other Christians And call them out as liars When he has no basis Other than uh, Gail Ripplinger Who has proven Absolutely uh, Without a shadow of a doubt To Be willing to be disingenuous And to uh, Misrepresent and take out of context People's quotes In fact if you just If you Uh, Go through her book um, What's the name of her book It's uh, escaping me right now Um, New Age Bible Translations I think that's what it's called And if you like like even check Up her references uh, where she References corruption in the different um, Other translations Like the NASB and the NIV she seems To attack those quite a bit Is that if you even Look up the text sometimes she references In her charts they're Completely inaccurate like she'll say that the NASB doesn't say faith in his blood. But when you actually go to the NASB at the actual reference she has in her chart, it actually says faith in his blood. I mean, it's, it's absolutely just amazing how uh, willing uh, she is and how many just absolute sheeple and robots there are out there that just follow Gail Ripplinger and don't even check her out. In fact, I don't think Ken Hovind has even read her book. Um, he just touts it. Uh, He hasn't read it Uh, at least I can't tell that he has from his comments that he makes Uh, what I would encourage um, any of you out there If you are um, want to study uh, And understand how we got the canon of scripture uh, that we have and um, And understand this better um, I would encourage you to read two books Um, The first one is the question of the canon By uh, Michael Kruger And also the Canon Revisited By Michael Kruger And also he has about four lectures Which I've listened to several times They're very very good On the question of the Canon Um, And I will go ahead and link those In the show notes So that you guys can see those So I would encourage you to You know here's the thing um, Brothers and sisters Is what we need to do Is we need to do the hard work ourselves We need to know Why do we have and how can I know That we have God's word Um, We need to know what we believe We need to study these things Because they're worthy of study God has spoken he has given us his word We can not only stand on it that it's truth But we can trust that he has preserved it And so um, Understanding and believing scripture Knowing that God has preserved it And trusting in his word Helps us refute both King James onlyism and postmodernism. So there you go. Well, that's just um, a few thoughts that I had today. Uh, sorry uh, that we were not able to continue today on our previous series where we were examining the Anabaptists. Uh, that is something that uh, my guest was not able to come today. He wasn't feeling well. So uh, we uh, ask you that you would pray for Kevin that he feels better. And uh, he. Is planning on being uh, back in the studio next week and we will continue our discussions on examining the Anabaptists and uh, encourage you guys to join us then well uh, <clears throat> hope uh, this was of some benefit to you and God willing Dale Valente will be back with you next week hope to see you then Just will not inherit God's kingdom and through Adam's offense, condemnation came to man and so.